All right, go home and do it. I mean, this is really kind of the goal of the series, and the goal today is how do we put that in practice? What does it actually look like to get our arms around the idea that our words, they matter? They matter a lot. So if you're just joining us, you're catching up in this series, it'll be easy to catch up. But week one, we talked about how our words and our tongue, more specifically, is something that's really difficult to control. We all have instances where we find ourselves on the other side of things that we shouldn't have said, didn't mean to say, have to take back, or on the other side of somebody doing the same thing. Just the tongue is hard to tame. And then last week we talked about how our words matter because our words, in a really unfortunate way, reveal what's going on in our hearts. And so they're kind of like this mirror that we have to confront and pay attention to because what comes out of our mouth reveals what's inside of our hearts. And so I just, I need to check in with you this morning after the last two weeks. How are we doing with our words? How's it going? Huh? If you had to grade yourself, some of you are nervous right now. If you had to grade yourself since we're back in school, anybody got an A over the last two weeks? Anybody give themselves an A? Okay, spouses, is that right? Did they get an A like they say they got? What about, uh, who's passing at least? Who's passing with their words? Yeah, we got some passing. All right, and then the rest of you... We gotta, we gotta get our grades up, we gotta stay after class, study a little bit harder. Yeah, I made it about four and a half hours after I preached last Sunday. I was, I was so proud of myself, I was like, okay, we get in there, we give some good information, you know, we share a little bit about the ways that we're struggling, we have got our arms around this, this is going great. And then I'm in the car and we're driving and my wife's sitting next to me and somebody kind of merges unexpectedly without a blink or anything and so just out of instinct, I just very loudly, very aggressively insinuated that the intelligence of the other driver might be a whole lot lower uh, than my intelligence. And then it kind of like, I realized what I had done, exact opposite of what I spent 30 minutes last week telling everybody else to do. And I look over at my wife and she just makes that face. (laughs) And like does like the zipper mouth thing. I was like, all right, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. So, but this is hard, right? It is hard to get our arms around the words that we use because we talk so much, it happens so fast that we don't have a lot of great examples in the world around us about how to pattern our speech, how to say words that point people back to God. So that's what we're going to talk about this this morning, kind of how do we do that? And I thought it was so fascinating last week. I got some feedback after the sermon and someone was like, what about, and then they shared this adage and I'm going to start it and I know you'll be able to finish it. So who in their life has ever heard this? So I'm going to start it. You finish it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's right. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We say this, right? We stand on the playground. We use this as a defense to protect ourselves from the onslaught of words by other children. And come on, we know this isn't true. Words hurt, right? Words hurt a lot. My guess is we have no relationship in our entire lives. Just go through the inventory of all the relationships that you have. We have no single relationship where somebody in the relationship hasn't been hurt by the words from one of the other persons, right? Whether it's your marriage or your dating relationship, whether it's parent to sibling or sibling to parent, 
sibling to sibling for sure, friend to friend, employee to employee or employer? Do you have any relationship where somebody hasn't been hurt by words in the dynamic? I mean, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. This is something that is so unbelievably difficult to kind of put under control. And so we know this isn't true. Sticks and stones hurt just as much as words do. In fact, research has shown that words feel and register in the brain in the same way that physical pain does. It taps into the same mechanisms and same brain sensors. And so our words really, really matter. And so the passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning is an attempt to kind of put a punctuation on the end of this whole series and kind of give us the last piece so that we understand and have some tools about how we can get our words under control. Because if we just go around carelessly speaking, we create a whole lot of damage in our relationships, right? And damage is done to us. And so we end up like, it's usually never one comment, right? It's usually not one thing that you can kind of pinpoint or trace it back to, but it's like a death, you know, by 10,000 paper cuts. It's just this accumulation over time of careless words, of hurtful words, of words spoken harshly or rashly or critically. It just wears us down, demoralizes us, causes distance or severance in the relationship that we just, we never heal or we never get over. So, as Christians, we're called for something different. And what we're going to look at this morning is, it's, it's a non-negotiable if you're a Christian. This isn't like, hey, this would be nice. This is like a pro tip, use this, this will be helpful in your life. This is like a non-negotiable, you have to get your arms around your words if you're going to identify as a follower of Jesus. This comes to us out of a, a book called Ephesians. This is a letter that's written to a, a group of people who are in a church in Ephesus. And really the whole point of the letter, Paul is just trying to help them understand kind of the before and after of a life previously before they started following Jesus and a life after once they have decided to follow Jesus. And he kind of paints this picture of your old life and your new life. And so he starts to share a description, a list of ways that their life should look different now that they are followers of Jesus. And this is one of the top four things that he mentions is our words and our speech. And this is how he starts out. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, what's so interesting about this word unwholesome in its original language is it has these really kind of cool connotations of like decaying, rotting, putrid, moldy, stinking, festering, like something that's just dying, death, disease-ridden. This is one of the connotations. It's just dead. And then the other connotation is like crumbling, disintegrating, fracturing, splintering apart. And so he says, this is what it means. Don't let any unwholesome talk. So it's not just like avoid cussing. This is not like one of those like bumper sticker verses that's like, hey, just don't use those four-letter words and you'll be good. Now this gets like way more into like 
types of speech and categories of speech. So this would, this would include gossiping. This would include complaining, criticizing, sarcasm, foul, indecent language. All of that fits under these categories. Words that start to like pick at and tear people down. This is all of that is what Paul's referring to here when he says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And what's important to note about this is if we just read this verse at face value, we'll try to pay attention exclusively to the words that we use, right? Like, how do I say better words? That's not what Paul's after. Paul's after something deeper and more significant here that we're going to kind of talk about here in a second. But I think beyond just the words that we use, and this might be more helpful than just paying attention to the words that we use, are there other aspects to how we speak. And so let me show you three things that I think we've got to pay attention to if we're going to try to get our arms around the words that we use. It's tone, it's timing, and it's target. So yes, pay attention to the words that you use. Once you've crossed that hurdle, now, how did you say it, right? Because we've all had this said back to us. It wasn't what you said, it was how you said it, right? Because we all know that you can avoid using any profanity and say things in a nice, like, a nice speech and mean something awful and terrible, right? With the smile on your face, the tone that you use betrays the words that you're speaking. Our tone really matters. And so this is kind of where that critical, sarcastic stuff comes into this idea that Paul is trying to paint a picture for. Like, if you're beyond just what you say, how you say it really matters. We all have that person that, we don't like to talk to because of the way that they talk to us. And, you know, if some large category percentage of communication is nonverbal, this, this counts in that, right? Because we just start backing up when they come our way because you know it's not going to be, it's not going to be like pleasant or helpful or kind. And there's always kind of this like undercurrent or tone to it that just wears you out, Right? I'm a pastor, come on. There have been situations, I'm not saying any of you here, but there have been situations where you see people coming and you're like, oh no, here it comes. Because you just know they're never going to come up and tell you what a great, great service it was or how wonderful life is. There's just something and it starts in and it's like, and it's just negative and it's just critical. Just kind of got that biting tone to it. It's like people that, you know, you've had that experience where you're talking to somebody and, and the smell was coming out of the mouth. You just want to back up, right? It's the same thing that happens when we don't pay attention to our tone or when somebody else doesn't pay attention to their tone in our life. It just, it's off-putting. You just want your distance. I think this is just as important as the words that we use as the way that we say what it is that we're trying to say. Some of us, this is connected to the next piece as well. It's timing. For some of us, we haven't fully understood the difference between a reaction and a response. You know, there's that space between whatever's happening and whatever's said to you, and then how you choose to react or respond. A reaction is instantaneous, it's quick, there's no thought to it. You just 
the retort. Yeah, but you, you know, and you, you have that response just ready to come back. It's a reaction. It's hard. It's critical. It's defensive. It's justifying. But a response, there's space. You get to think about what it is that you're actually trying to communicate. You let go of the immediate wave of emotion or sensation or feelings that kind of crush over your body because you're like, no, 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 let me think through this. Let me be intentional about the words that I use. Sometimes we don't pay attention to the timing at all. and We just jump in. This is also true not just about the processing speed of our brains and how much space we give before we say something back, but when we choose to say something, right? What's the context in which? Parents, I'm just going to, as a person who's new to parenting, let me just give you some advice. If you're offering criticism immediately after something, wait. It won't be heard. It won't be helpful. Like, the timing matters. It can be so well-intentioned. It can be in a spirit of love and desire to help. But if you're offering that immediately after something that your child has done, or worse, your spouse has done, just push, tap the brakes, homie. Drive slow. Like, give it some space. Because it doesn't, it doesn't land the same way. We know after they step off the field or out of the rehearsal or the performance or whatever it may be, and the first thing out of our mouths is like that helpful but suggestive piece of feedback. It's not the best time. And so beyond what we're saying, you could even say it in a loving, kind way. But if your timing is off, that doesn't work. This is one of those that I trip over a lot because just by personal orientation, like I'm a little comfortable with conflict and sometimes can be aggressive in confrontation. And so I'm ready to like jump it. Let's go like wherever right now, let's do it. Uh, And if there are other people around, I have learned to marriage. That's a bad time to do that. Right. If there are witnesses to the confrontation that you're about to have or the discussion or the disagreement that you're about to engage in, it's better left for another time. Some of you are like, yeah, dummy, I'm I'm learning. I'm learning on the job. But we got to pay attention to our timing because it has to be the right setting. And we have to be in the right mindset to thoughtfully prepare a response. And that means that we'll have to go slower. And we have to think through some of these categories. It also matters kind of what's going on with us, not just what's going on around us, but what's going on with us. Are we hungry? Are we angry? Are we lonely? Are we tired? Are we irritable? Is there, did we have a bad day at work? Are the kids acting up and we're mad about that? Like all of those things factor in and they influence not just what we say, but the whole environment around what we say. And then the last, we got to pay attention to the target, who we're talking to. And this is exclusively in the context of like one-on-one relationship usually. Because the words that we say, depending on who we're saying them to, they hold different weight, right? We all have 
that one comment that we've carried with us throughout our middle school and adolescent and adult lives that a parent said maybe long ago that we just can't shake? Why? Because words from a parent land like a ton of bricks. They're heavy. They're weighty. They're more significant than that same piece of feedback or those same words from a relative or just another adult or a teacher. We have to pay attention to the dynamic in the relationship. And so if there's a power differential in the relationship, parent to child, employer to employee, you have to recognize that your words will land different than if your peers. If you've ever been in leadership in any way, you, you've learned this maybe the hard way like I have. You can't speak to everybody in the same manner, in the same tone, with the same timing because not everybody has the same relationship with you and to you. Relationship researchers, John and uh, Julie Gottman, they did some work and they found that in the context of a marriage, the balance between positive comments and negative comments needs to be at least five to one to maintain harmony in the relationship. That means that with your spouse, with your significant other, For every one negative comment that you offer, there needs to be at least five that balances it out. And some of you are doing quick math in your head trying to figure out what your ratio is, right? My guess is you'll find out on the way home. (laughs) But it's because not everything weighs the same. Not every word weighs the same, particularly in close, intimate relationships, whether it's spouse, significant other, parent, child. This stuff matters because of who the target of our words are. These words become heavier when we're in closer relationship to one another. So all of these things factor into this idea that we have to pay attention to the words that we use because if it's unwholesome, if it tears down in any way, both in content or tone or timing or target, it starts to cause harm and tear people down and break things apart and we start to have all of these relational rifts just because of the words that we're using. So Paul goes on. He kind of does this before and after. So this is what we're not supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to avoid. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And then he shifts to kind of redirect us in a different direction. He says it this way. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And I'm so glad that Paul wrote it this way. Because had he just written, but only what is helpful for building others up, many of us who think we know better than others would be the arbiters of what is helpful for building other people up, right? All of that unsolicited advice that we so freely dispense, we would think that, oh, this is our opportunity to offer all of these unwanted suggestions because it would be helpful, right? We're just trying to help. Like, I just... No, that's not what he says, though. He says, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, right? It's based on them. The orientation is not what you feel is necessary to share, but it's what they need to hear to be built up. Some of you have heard it a different way. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Will it approve upon the silence? 
It's another kind of filter or lens to think through what it is that you might be offering. If you were avoiding unwholesome talk, words that tear down, and we're trying to use words that build up, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Will it improve upon the silence? That last one's the kicker, right? I'm not sure how much of what I say sometimes improves upon the silence. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I've like, kind of done my job or been helpful or been of service. I don't know that it's always improving upon the silence. And so as you think about the words that come out of your mouth, and you had to start placing them in one of these two different buckets, how many are unwholesome? In some way. And how many build up? according to the other's needs. What this forces us to do is to reorient the goal of our speech. And this is, I think, what is so beautiful and so powerful about what Paul's saying. Because this is how he ends it. He says, that it may bless those who listen. What Paul is trying to get us to do is not to avoid cussing and to choose non-bad words over bad words. That's not what we're after. Yeah, sure, don't cuss. Great. That Avoiding cussing does not make you more Christ-like. What Paul is after is for us to reorient the way that we think and the way that our hearts are formed around the person of Christ, which then results in speech that only does one kind of thing, that builds other people up according to their needs, that it may bless them. That's a totally different filter for us to run all of our words through. Not, is it a bad word or not? Is, not, is it unwholesome or not? Here's the whole new category. Not just to avoid the bad speech, the unwholesome speech, but does this build them up according to their need? And does it bless them? Another way that this is translated is, does it give them grace? Does it act as a gift to them? That forces us to be way more intentional with the words that we use. To think about the recipient. To think about, when should I say this? Who am I saying this to? What is the right timing for this? We all have people in our lives and you have learned oftentimes through trial and error the best way to engage in certain conversations, difficult conversations, hard conversations. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with somebody you work with. But you have learned like, oh, I can't say anything yet. That won't go well. I've got to wait or I've got to pull them aside or don't do it in a group. I've got to, behind closed doors, we need to have this harder conversation this is starting to move us into that kind of direction that Paul wants us to go. Because ultimately, it's a function not of avoiding bad speech, but it's a function of a more loving heart. And that's the goal of this. This is the before and after that Paul is trying to help us see. It's not just to avoid bad behavior, but it's to act and to speak out of a place of love. This is what he's drawing us to. He said, listen. Your words matter. They carry weight. They can tear people down. 
And we've seen it. We've seen the way that our world is constantly tearing each other down. We're not even capable in our society of having an intellectual debate on any type of topic, right? One person presents their side, somebody objects, and then what do we immediately do? It's character assassination. We don't even engage in debate over the merits of ideas anymore. Paul's saying, if you look to the world, you'll never understand this. But if you look at the way that Jesus lived and pattern your lives and your heart after the way that Jesus modeled it for us, he said, then you move to a place where not only are you avoiding unwholesome talk, but you're making sure that your words hit the requirements of being edifying, constructive, supportive, generous, gracious. And they come from a place of love. So here's what this is going to mean. If we get this right, there's probably going to be a whole lot more silence in our lives. Right? It might just mean that we swallow a whole bunch of words that we're inclined to say, that we're inclined to react with. And they're probably better left unsaid. And so when we do choose to speak, are the words that we're choosing... Do they look like Christ? Do they sound like Christ? And that's how we'll know. Because when we talk that way, then our words actually will matter. Because they'll be categorically different than all of the other words spoken in the world. They'll matter because they change people's lives. We all have that coach, that teacher, that parent, that person in our life who said that one thing to us that totally changed the orientation or the direction of our life, right? Somebody who offered that compliment, who noticed something in you, who saw something that nobody else seemed to name or see, that gave you that that little piece of encouragement and motivation right as you needed it, that helped you feel seen and acknowledged, and your life has been changed because of that? Or maybe just you always knew that they were a safe person because they never were going to whack at you with their words. This is why our words matter. Because our words matter to people. They truly can give life. And this is what Paul wants for us. To be people who give life with our words. And so as we wrap up this series, I just want to give us one little prayer that I want us to memorize. We don't do a lot of memorization, but since we're back in school, I thought it'd be worth it. So I'm going to put this prayer on the screen. This comes from the Psalms. This is Psalm 141, verse 3. And so this is what we're going to say. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. May this be our prayer every day. Upon waking, as we go to bed... Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. All right, now it's your turn. We're going to say it together. Some of you, you're like, oh, that's all right. We'll do it. All right, on the count of three, we're going to say this together. One, two, three. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. One more time. You sound good. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of our lips.
Let me pray that it be so. Gracious God, help us to live our lives more in the example of your son, both in our action, but also in the words that we choose and the words that we use. God, help us to recognize that our words truly matter. And you have called us to use them in a way that gives life. God, help us to watch over the words that we say, to set a guard over them. With your help, amen.